1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: This is the Talking Tactics podcast. What's going on? My name's Daniel. It's HH.
1: I still can't believe you're going on the internet calling yourself that. Honestly, it's bizarre. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's Carl Anker.
0: Yeah, we do this podcast every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on social medias. Twitter's the main one. If you're listening on Spotify... Give us a follow over there. If you're on Apple Podcasts, remember to subscribe. It's free. If you leave us a five-star review, we will read it on the show. I didn't look, but I don't think we got any this week. I feel like that went really smooth and I didn't forget anything. So, you guys got anything coming out this week?
2: Um, nope. Same old, same old, baby. Just trying to live, trying to exist, trying to stay alive, trying to breathe, trying to eat. Uh,
1: nope. I got Well, I got a review in Enemy this week. Oh, cool. So, that's, that's non-payable content if you want to do that. Uh, and I found out that some work I did with BBC Radio 4 on the film program uh, went out in August, but I just didn't notice because I was too busy moving house. So I guess you can guys can hunt that stuff down if you want to.
0: Cool. The theme of this week is teams in crisis before the international break, <laughs> I suppose. So there's quite a few to pick from. I feel like we should probably start with Spurs, though, because... After they they lost to Colchester, <laughs> then then they lost to Bayern. Yep. And then they lost to Brighton. Yep. So oh, it's even hard kind of keeping track of how many teams these guys are losing to, but what is going on at Spurs, guys?
1: Tottenham Spurs finished the week with a goal difference of.
0: Ah, Spurs. Minus eight.
1: Yeah, man. Minus <laughs> eight. <laughs> It wasn't that I forgot. It was just I was trying to say it and I was just, damn. Yeah,
0: it was like they lost by five, which is a baptism double H.
2: Oh, five, yeah. Five is a baptism. And yeah. then
0: lubricated by Brighton. <laughs> damn. <laughs> it's bad. It's very bad. It's bad. Um, And and now we're seeing the whole, you know, has Poch taken this team as far as he can go? whoop dee whoop So what do you guys think, Carl? Is is this the end of the road for Poch or do you think he can kind of right the ship?
1: I'd like him to stay. I like. I like if Spurs properly supported Poch, gave him um, financial support and whatnot to properly refresh his side. But this spine of Tottenham Hotspur is, I think, it's done. It was an incredible achievement that what po- Pochettino did last season, getting Tottenham to the Champions League final with no signings. But that was that was it. They should have. They should have made the signings they made this season. Last season. Because the, near the end of last season, Tottenham were really, really bad. They were playing this air raid football that relied a lot on Musa Sissoko progressing the ball with dribbling, Son playing out of his skin. And it wasn't really working then. And now it's it's barely working now. You think about Hugo Lloris, unfortunately, really bad injury against Brighton. Dislocated his shoulder. Awful, awful. Uh, you, that centre back pairing of, of Alderweireld and, uh, and uh, Vertonghen. They're a year older. Doesn't look to be the force they used to be. Uh, you consider how Tottenham Hotspur, at their peak, used to have superb fullbacks. Now they've got an older Danny Rose. You know, Sergio was uh, was suspended for this game, but they had Sizoco at right back, so their fullbacks position are nowhere near as good as what they used to be. Musa Dembélé has not been adequately replaced. Christian Eriksen is tired and a bit older, you take out Harry Kane's penalties, he's not doing so well in terms of goal production anymore. It's bad. And it's bad, not in a way that this is Pochettino's fault, but it's people keep talking about how this Tottenham team is stale and needs refreshing. And I think so. Uh, Matcha, they did a graphic on Saturday that listed how many players from Pochettino's first season are still there now. I think it was seven players, where you compare it to Liverpool that have maybe three players left uh and-, and Manchester City, which have maybe like four players have stuck have hung around for a bit too long. They're now either tired or they just they can't be bothered to keep running all the time for Pochettino because they look tired.
2: What do you think? Yeah man, no no look for me. I just I just think that yeah pretty much as what well, Carlos said like it's it's the end of the road. Their peak was our Champions League final it would have helped if they actually won it. But I think what you're just seeing is that you just there's come a the time when like there's a disconnect between the manager and the players and the key thing, and this is what happens, whenever the manager loses the dressing room, that is it. A manager who has lost the dressing room has never regained it. Once you lose it, it's finished, and you need to replace the manager. That's just that's just how football works. So it's really down to Danny Levy. Now, we all know that Danny Levy is a, is a penny pincher. So if he sacks him, it's going to cost a lot of money. So Levy... It's down to you. Are you just gonna just watch this train wreck happen and just watch a team where the dressing room isn't happy, players are not happy, manager just looks disinterested, manager can't get his instructions across, just let it keep on happening and happening until he resigns, which would happen because Pochettino was like, uh, "I'm not gonna resign. Give me that cash. Let me do an Antonio Conte. You know, pay pay a boy." So it doesn't look great, but I think, but what it, it, it it's clear to see that like it's it's finished. Like when you're just looking at them playing, there isn't a belief, there isn't a cohesion. And one of your one of their key players, Ericsson, he's pretty. He already has Real Madrid in his mind because he, right now, more than any other time, Ericsson's like, I am out of here as soon as my contract runs out. Either you sell me for some cash, or as soon as that contract runs out, I'm not. I am not signing anything. So, yeah, that's the reality, baby. I was in a group chat and like somebody
0: posted a link about like. Vertongen and Ericsson and something about one of their wives. I was like, what is going on here?
1: Uh, The rumor swirling around is that Yang Vertongen slept with Christian Ericsson's wife, which is why Christian Ericsson wanted to leave in the summer. So uh, there are some uh, reputable news agencies claiming that Christian Ericsson had packed up everything in his house in London before the Champions League final. And he was very much like, yep, regardless of what was going to happen in Madrid, he was off, uh, and these rumours suggest that Ericsson wanted to leave for Real Madrid or somewhere else because Jan Vertonghen slept with his wife. These rumours have been disputed by Christian Erickson. Christian Ericsson, uh there was a, there was Christian Ericsson spotted a tweet that was circulating these rumours. Uh, Quote retweeted it and said bullshit. So that's that's the end of that. Christian Eriksen is 27. He, The next contract he signs will be his last big contract and probably be his last time, the last team he plays to, to get a chance to win big trophies. We know for a fact that uh, he was wanted at Real Madrid. Despite what you think of Real Madrid, they're always going to be competing for La Liga titles. They're always going to be there or thereabouts in the Champions League or considered a favourite for the Champions League as well. Uh, and failing that, even if they're not, Christian Eriksen is going to get paid. So... There you go, and he's just one player at Tottenham Hotspur that I think wants to leave. If you look, Alderweireld has had a falling out with Pochettino and looks unlikely. Jan Vertonghen didn't start the opening games of the season and looks like he wanted to leave. We know for a fact Danny Rose wanted to leave. He said as much in at least two different interviews. That's three key members of personnel. W- what do you do? You you either back Pochettino and say right, we're going to move on these players that we should have moved on last season or the season before, and give you the money to replace them? Or do you go to Pochettino? Okay, we're going to get you the contract you wanted somewhere else. We know Manchester United are interested. Let's try and get your salary tripled. And then we're going to make a move for Eddie Howe or Allegri or um, Nico Kovac. Th- these are the options now. Basically, something has to change, and it's either going to be you move on the personnel or you move on the manager. And normally, it's a lot cheaper to move on the manager. What I would say it's not now they're probably going to be in a year zero reset mode, which will be, let's just do what we can to finish in the Champions League spaces because any form of rebuild will be very, very hard. It will be so much harder if they're doing it with Europa League football instead of Champions League football. They've got, let's, let's be real, Tomasper are now one of the premier clubs in Europe. They bring in more money than Juventus. They've got the best football stadium in the world. If they keep Pochettino, they've got one of the best managers in the world. What? Pochettino's one of the best managers in the world. Yeah, he's top no, he's 10. Not. He's top 10. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Okay. okay. He's top 10. Okay. 10 managers better than Pochettino. Go. <laughs> uh, so we got we got Pep, we, we know Pep's better, we know Klopp's better.
2: Klopp, Pep, I would say I would argue Allegri is, I would argue that nope. Spalletti is. Oh, wait, hang I on. Allegri Allegri. Mango You sent me to, to, big, to big big claims. because said, big, as of right now, as of right now, no, not I'm not of, talking about as a, right now. No, you're
1: see, mm, you cheeky here. You're gonna
2: do current form. <laughs> no, you don't, because like if because, yeah, because you, if you're singers of right now, because like trust me, managers get worse. Managers, managers well get worse. Managers, managers get, get better.
1: Nangos gonna. Nangle's man will get better, but he hasn't got. He hasn't done more than what Pochettino done right now. Allegri is outwitted. How, in the many, how many League. trophies
2: has Pochettino won? Oh, okay, you There we go. this. This ingenious there argument.
1: Okay, go. goodbye. Go. Never mind. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: okay. Um. What if it's both? What if you have to get rid of Pochettino and sell some of these players? Oh, right? it,
1: you probably have to do both. But yeah, because the cheaper like, version let's, is
0: let's let's say you sack Pochettino. Eriksson's still gonna want to go to Real Madrid. Like that's not gonna stop. Or you know some of these players are still gonna think like, yo, my career here is done. And if you sell the players and just leave Poch with nobody, it's not gonna get better, is it? So yeah, it, it does seem like instead of either or, it's like. They might have to do both, but that's a, that's a big call to make, I suppose. You guys want to do City, or you guys want to do United?
1: Let's start with City, and then do a big chunk about United.
0: Manchester City lost to, to Wolves 2-0. Adama Traore scored both goals. I only caught the highlights. I didn't watch the whole game, but I'll assume one of you either watched the game or caught the highlights as well. Now, the last time we said City were like in turmoil of some sort, I think they lost to Norwich, And then they went out and they beat Watford like 8-0. So, I don't want to be like, um, you know, our city in trouble, this, that, and the third. But with what Liverpool are doing, they keep dropping points like this. I don't know if they're going to win the title. And maybe not winning the title equals crisis in Man City? What do you guys think?
1: Eight points in eight games. That is a really worrying gap. So, there is a segment in Pep Confidential, which is the book more or less by Pep Guardiola and, and a journalist for when he went to Bayern Munich. And Pep himself is saying the first 10 games are really, really important to a season. He said, you, can, you can't you can win a league in the first 10 games, but you can lose it in the first 10 games. He says, it you know, maybe you can drop two or three points, maybe four. But what's most important is you never get the gap wider than six because the most important thing is it has to be within a point where you can beat them twice and swing it back in your way. So yes, Liverpool only lost one game last season, but the game they lost was to Manchester City. And when that gap did spread out to, yeah, it was seven, but it was in effect five because City and Liverpool never really played on the same day. The big thing within Manchester City was as long as we win our game and we get that down to two points, we'll be able to take the title back. And if it's at eight points already, I'm not saying that Liverpool aren't going to slip up because teams do lose games. Teams do draw games. Something will happen. I imagine Manchester City will go all out on the two games they've got to play against Liverpool. And that eight point can go down to four quite easily. But that's a big chunk. Really, really early in the season. We were on this podcast previously. And when Laporte went down, Hope said, Ah, it's not a big deal. They'll just play John Stone. I went, No, dude. like It's a big deal because Laporte's out for a bit. John Stones is out for a bit Fernandinho at centre back can't work it's not just that Manchester City have drop points but it's they're going to be vulnerable for a bit especially on the counter-attacks and transitions for a while until one Kevin Bruyne comes back from his injury because he's injured again or two they get to the January transfer window and I'm assuming bring back Vincent Kompany
0: hmm is is Pep the guy you dislike the most in football other than like
2: Cristiano obviously? But like No no but, but but you know that's the funny thing, like I don't dislike Pep. I think the thing with Pep is that you just you, you made a very arrogant documentary and I think that you're a very arrogant man who tries to present yourself as being um very humble when in fact you you're not humble. And my thing about it is just that doc I just had a lot of issues with how he presented himself in that documentary and the whole destroyed football thing. And I, saw, I, I think he's an amazing coach. He's a bloody amazing coach. I don't know how great of a manager he is. There's a difference between being a great coach and a great manager. Mourinho is an outstanding manager. Coach, eh, but he's an outstanding manager. Pep, outstanding coach, not sure how you are as a manager because we're seeing right now, if a few key players are missing, he doesn't know how to manage the situation. And he's always had to rely on having supremely, amazingly talented players. So as so a writer now, which is where he's now being tested, you, you don't. You don't have these players right now. You don't have a Laporte. De Bruyne wasn't playing. Can you now do something? And it's like to lose to Wolves two zero at the crib. You know, like I'm sorry, man. We have to really question. Just how good is Pep really? He's the That's best the manager in the world. How he good was. is he really? <laughs> he's the best manager in the
0: world.
2: No, no, he's not. Yeah, have,
0: hope, have hope, have a bro. You love that, like how good is blank really? <laughs> That's
2: your go-to question. Though. It's like how good was Maradona really? <laughs> like.
0: Like how I, I I feel like last week or like um sometime you're like how good is the lit really? <laughs> it's just like this is this guy's go to question. And it reminds me, you know, the, the Chappelle joke of like how old is fifteen really. I was <laughs> like <laughs> one of the greatest jokes of all time. But anyway, yeah. Um I had a question on my mind. Did do you wanna speak any about just the wolves performance and like just the kind of expert defensive they were great. That was,
1: they played 3-4-3 three, three with a high press. Really, really robust shape. Wolves are really good when they want to play a low bo- block. Um, as Manchester United f- haven't, haven't beaten Wolves since Wolves have come back in the Premier League. They're really good at setting traps. Wow. They don't mind giving away possession. Because, like, okay, break us down. We're going to be clever enough to do that. Uh, and what the really impressive thing about Wolves on Sunday... Saturday? Sunday was uh, the... Halftime change, where Nes decided, eh, let's move Catrone off, and we'll move Traore up front, and really, really try and exploit Manchester City's problems on the counter attack. Because one of the big things I see right now is with Kevin De Bruyne injured, they lose one of their best passing options, especially when they want to exploit that space on the left hand side. So that's gone, and with Fernandinho at centre back rather than defensive midfield, there's a gap in the middle that. Uh, if you're quick enough and have the ball control to get past the tactical fouling, you can really, really get them, get them. So the very first goal, that was great work from Jota because they were trying to foul him. City's big thing is if you get past our get play over the top and you, it looks like you're going you're gonna to attack us down on goal, we'll just foul you. We'll, we'll have David Silver or someone else hit you and then we'll get a free kick. You will give away a free kick and that way in the free kick we get to bring all our men back because there's been a passage in play. Whereas Jota's dribble, there's a particular bit where he takes the ball from his right foot to his left foot and continues the dribble when the City player is trying to foul him. Because he's like, no, I know what you're going to try and do. If I get past this, it's far better than getting a free kick 35 yards out. Gives it to Traoré. Traoré makes the most of his opportunity and scores. Similar thing on the second goal where they just give it to Traoré and Traoré's like, nope, I'm too quick to be fouled. Just runs forward. I don't know if you can replicate that again if you're a Newcastle or a Leicester City or even a Chelsea, because what you have to do to beat City is you've got to, one, hope they have a bad day, two, be really, really good in your low block, and three, when you do break forward, you've got to break forward and have it be absolutely perfect.
0: Who did Liverpool play? Leicester? Mm. That was really close. It was really close. I remember watching it. Yeah. All right. It's 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 coming back. Do you guys think that was a penalty for Mane? Or do you think he kind of made the most of it?
1: It was a foul and a p- dive. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah.
0: If the referee didn't call a penalty and they went to VAR, I don't think they give one. But he did give one and it went to VAR and I am like, I don't think they're going to overturn it. It's one of those ones where it's like, he clearly dived, but there was contact. So the referee isn't wrong because there was contact. But really, is it a penalty? Eh.
1: Yeah, it was. it was. It was a penalty. It, we've said this on this podcast before. He bought it, but the defender was stupid to sell it.
0: That's fair. Milner, though. I'd re- yo, it, like, yo, this is an interesting question. If you had one player to take a penalty like for your life, who would it be? Balotelli. Balotelli? Matt Letizia. Letizia. <laughs> Shout out to Saints, I guess. I don't know. Drogba? Would that be a good answer? Nah, 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 nah. Because nah, nah, what he did at Ivory Coast... <laughs> that one time was it Zambia where he hit the bar like nah Gerard, that might be a good one
2: Balotelli really wait do you do you remember how crazy his record was before Reina saved it he was on like an insane record and like because he's doesn't really care and he's a bit you know mentally just like out there he doesn't know pressure and also he's got a very good technique because he waits for the keeper to make the move then he then precisely places it. Another good one was Mendieta. He was also very good as well. So basically I, I always I always want to go for guys who place it rather than guys who just smack it. Cause that's still that, that's also a bit worrying.
0: Yeah like Salah taking a penalty for your life you might die. <laughs> mm. <laughs> he just hit it. Uh yo, okay have hope. Her-
2: Harry Kane's taking a pen for your life. You feel safe? At the moment I should do. Okay. I should do. Like I because I mean this guy's record is damn good, so I think for if Hurricane is doing it, yeah, I feel pretty safe. Yeah, All right. Pogba,
1: Sergio Ramos would be good as well. No,
2: it's Pogba. You don't feel safe. Nope. No Pogba way. with this <laughs> rubbish tip tap tip tap step step step. No 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 no. Because I mean, I've, I've seen him miss a few. No way.
0: Can no. could you imagine he's doing the penalty for your life and he does the stutter step thing? He's like, oh, yo, no, what are you doing?
2: No, basically, <laughs> if, you know, if if he does that, then I'll get a sniper rifle and and I'll just <laughs> snipe him. And then say look the <laughs> Where
1: are you getting a sniper rifle from,
2: G? Trust me. and trust me, you can always find a sniper rifle. That's one of the things like you, there's always a sniper rifle anywhere. There's always a one. sniper rifle anywhere. That's what he's yep. saying. <laughs> yeah, there's always a sniper rifle.
1: <laughs> okay. United. Um That was I
0: don't even terrible, know where to start with this
2: it? one. That was god awful.
0: y'all trash, man.
2: Trash. <laughs> Wait, wait, wait! wait. very quickly, Carl, Carl, can I ask something? This is something that's really been bothering me. So, we know that Manchester United are, of course, this great, huge, global, big club and everything. But based on them being garbage and being crap, does it still make sense for them to still be in the headlines with regards to news, even if they're an awful football team? But based on their fan base and their popularity, does it still make sense that they're still giving so much airtime?
1: I once read something that said there's close to a billion Manchester United fans in the world, which can't be right, what? but let me let me Google this again. A billion. There are two hundred and twenty six support officially recognized supporters clubs.
0: I wouldn't Sorry. be surprised uh, if it's Manchester United claim
1: to have six hundred and fifty nine million supporters.
0: Yeah, yeah. That sounds that sounds That's damn near a billion now that I think about it. Yeah, it's that's it's cool. <laughs>
1: round it up in a, 700 million, which, yeah, you know, a seven hundred million, which you know seven tenths of a billion. Yeah, based on that, based on that, and based on, on sheer amount of people in the world who claim to support Manchester United, yes, claim. That's not as smart as you think it is. <laughs> Manchester United are a big deal because of the size of their fan base. That it, yeah. on pitch, on field performance doesn't get into it. It's the same way that you know. Oh no, no, but it's the same way just... that no matter what happens, Leeds will always be one of the bigger sides and what division they play in because of what? the size of their fan base. Leeds are one of the biggest teams in in the championship, regardless of how well Leeds are doing in the championship at that time, because Leeds are Leeds and they have the history and they have the fan base.
2: No, but but I think the similar thing with Nottingham Forest, that,
1: similar thing with but, Derby, similar thing with AC Milan are always going to be a big deal, despite the fact <laughs> they haven't played European football in about a decade.
2: No, no, no. But I, but, but I think the, the, the key difference is a lot of the fan base outside of England, especially globally, support United because they were based off su- success. So they bought into this is just a successful club that always wins. If they now always lose and they're trash, will some guy in America in flipping Greenland still bother to support them if they're now trash?
0: Greenland?
2: Ask them. What are you asking me for?
1: No, 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 no. I'm telling I'm you I'm not that, some you know, guy in
2: Greenland. Whatever. No, no, what, but I'm telling what, you. What's what, what, what the point? They only support the United what, because they want uh, to glory. What is the now point? Now that they are trash, why would they still support them? It's the
1: point you're trying to make. The point you're trying to make is, to make is mm. does Manchester United's on Pitch poor performance damage their bottom line, yes. Yes, we know that. Why are you asking me this question when that's painfully evident? Well, <laughs> You're oh, trying no, to no, hurt no. me, well, aren't you?
2: Well, yes, <laughs> well, 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 yes I'm sometimes you was, ask me these questions, intense. you know the
1: answer, you just want me to say it because you know it hurts. Yeah,
2: no, yes, no, I want to I cause pain. I'm sorry. So
1: <laughs> good as long as we know, Manchester United's poor performance on the field is damaging their ability to make money off the field, which is why I believe Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be gone by Christmas. Right. They hired Solskjaer because it was cheap and easy and now it's getting to the point where it's becoming expensive to keep him. Because United need to United need to be... I mean, the United thing now is interesting because do you want a manager who could turn the ship around quickly and get you 7th place? Or do you want to do what Chelsea did during their implosion years, which is get someone who comes in, makes you sure you finish 10th so the next season you don't have European football. You don't have European football. You can just focus on the league tricky one I mean the good thing about, well I don't know if it was by accident or by design but when Chelsea had their implosions they had the, the decency to finish outside the Europa League spaces
0: 10th was a blessing in disguise actually mm-hmm. that way you don't have to do it's, if you finish like 7th and you have to do like the Europa League qualification stuff ee, like your season starts in June I think
1: Wolves started their, Europe, started their football season in April because of a, April? in August because of the Europa League
0: yeah, something like that. Anyway. Um, okay, Carl, I gotta issue an apology. Um in in previous podcast you you had discussed that, that you wanted Antonio Conte to come in for Jose Mourinho, and I probably called you some names. After witnessing this Ollie Gunnar Sar um stuff, I think I gotta say sorry, bro, you're correct. Although I was right that hiring Ollie was a mistake, so I'll give myself credit there. The Conte idea was not bad. And I shouldn't have uh made fun of you. So, you know, I'm sorry, forgive me. You are not silly to bring up that name, considering what the alternative was and the current situation is. So there you go. You are forgiven. Thank you.
1: Manchester United were abhorrent on Sunday. That's let's really let's really get into that. Yes, okay. So there's the caveat of um when you look at their like first team lineup who beat Chelsea 4 0 and the lineup against Newcastle, there were six members of staff missing. But to that, I will say Solskjaer has very clearly overworked his team during preseason to try and get them to do pressing, but he doesn't know what pressing is. So that's why he's getting so many soft tissue injuries. They're overworked, they're breaking up. Um the squad is the squad is the worst it's ever been. And that's not because Solskjaer's a bad manager or whatnot, but because basically there are less Alex Ferguson players still at the side. So Moyes' squad was still quite strong because even though people were broken, it was mostly focusing because the only person he brought in was Fellaini. Uh, Van Gaal's squad was odd because he was trying to play a very weird, esoteric style of football that nearly all those players are now gone. Mourinho's squad, again, he was trying to get rid of Van Hal's squad and bring in his old players, but his own players are not being supported by Woodward. So Mourinho's team was sort of, it was fine. And then he broke it all by bringing in Sanchez. And then Solskjaer getting rid of Lukaku and Sanchez without bringing in another striker was moronic. Solskjaer realising that Pogba wanted to leave. Herrera left. Nemanji Matic isn't no longer fit the task. But he decided, maybe we can use Fred and Muscat McTominay. Asinine. Not buying two centre midfielders was risky. Not buying one centre midfielder is suicidal. Uh, And I probably don't like using that word, but there you go. So bad. It's so bad. Like, what is andreas pereira andreas pereira was not good enough to be a winger in a very bad valencia side and yet now he's starting games in central midfield for manchester united huh fred looks really really bad and i've i've maintained fred is not a completely rubbish player you know a player that a player that pep Guardiola was interested in and pretty much beat up manchester city when it was like Shakhtar. does not become a terrible player overnight Yes, there are always question marks as to whether he'd adjust to English football. And he does look a bit worried when he's pressed immediately. But I think what's also there is the fact that Fred doesn't know what his position is. He doesn't know what job he's supposed to be doing at Manchester United. Because you have to understand that being central, being a central midfield now is so hard. And you need to be playing with people with complementary talents. And if you're trying to be complemented by the skeleton of Juan Mata and and, and like this junk... Andreas Pereira, no wonder you're going to play crap. Yeah, it's awful. It's gross. Can't believe how bad Manchester United were. My former work colleague and friend, Cy Lloyd, on Sunday morning tweeted Steve Bruce hasn't beaten Manchester United in 22 attempts, and Newcastle lost 5 0 to Leicester. So you know how today ends. It was inevitable. Everyone knew that the football narrative was going to give Newcastle a wing. And yeah, it's really nice that Matty Longstaff scored, Long with, that lovely, scored with that lovely power driver um, on his debut. But you know what's also funny? Matty Longstaff was playing next to his brother, Sean Longstaff. For some reason, Gunnar Solskjaer wanted to buy Sean Longstaff for 60 million over the summer. What? Even, what are you doing? Well, Newcastle quoted 60 million when the United uh. came to buy him. Let me put this down. Let me put. Let me make this as real as it gets. Manchester United have a manager who was sacked by Cardiff City. Over the summer, they bought someone from Crystal Palace. They bought someone from Leicester City. And they bought someone from Swansea. And apparently, that's supposed to take Manchester United from sixth place in the Premier League to the top four. How?
0: I was watching Have Hope's post-match. And at the end of his post-match, he said, like, Harry Maguire left Leicester to go to Manchester United so he could compete with trophies. <laughs> he was like, yo... Go look at the at the Premier League table and look at where Manchester United are and look where Leicester are. And then he just ended the video. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to look at the table. I was like, Manchester United in like 11th or 12th. And I think Leicester are fourth. Yep. Although I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like the the money's good. So, you know, he got a reason. money helps, sense.
1: but yikes. Yikes, 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 yikes. He's not looking good for Manchester United. There's no reason to persist with on on social. You have to bring in a more experienced manager because this guy is painting out of his depth. So, someone asked us, and this is a perfect question probably
0: for you, um, Keegan Blaise says, so how many years of incompetence at board level has brought us here? I guess the question is, what is left for Manchester United Football Club to do at this point? So, how, do, do you blame more
1: managers, players, or is
0: it does it all start from the top down?
1: It starts from the top. The top, the, the, the Glazer hierarchy and whatnot, um, that you know, during Ferguson, Ferguson, you know, was a wizard and managed to get on with it. But the moment he left and the moment David Gill left and they weren't adequately replaced, United were always going to go down a tailspin. It's institutional exceptionalism allowing you to be rotted from the inside out. The similar thing happened with the Lakers up until very recently with LeBron, until LeBron like landed. The fact that because you think just because you're a big name, you don't have to... Get with the times because event because everyone wants to hang out with you. If you do that for long enough, you'll fall. If you if you keep ranking financial stability over the ability to to make good footballing decisions, you'll keep making things wrong. Right. So we know for a fact that the Manchester United Academy has been in very very bad straits for years, but they just got on with it because Fergie could keep the first team winning. We know for a fact that. Um, the scouting system had dropped for ages, but Fergie just found a way to keep on winning. He was like, all right, fine. I'll just buy Robin Van Persie. We know for a fact that um, the scouting team wasn't in a good place. The academy wasn't in a very good place. The medical team wasn't in a very, very good place. All of those things needed to be addressed, but Ferguson managed to hold it all together because of his weird iron will. And then when when Ferguson left and Gill left, those things rose to the forefront of, we need to sort out the academy. We need to sort out the medical team. We need to sort out this. And United never did. Van Gaal, to his credit, was one of the first guys like, wait, what? What is your training ground? This is broken. So when Van Gaal came in, he got all the pitches changed, to 3G pitches, and was trying to get things moving in a forward motion. And then, obviously, he was also playing some really bad, bad football. Um, I'm in a weird space with Van Gaal's era where sort of the things he was saying were were right and they probably should have given him more time and they should have listened to him. But also, I remember watching those games and going, "This is terrible. I need this man fired. This is awful." <laughs> Van Hal was removed. Van Hal was removed at the exact time Van Hal should have been removed. The problem I, I think there was they hired the wrong replacement in Mourinho. They probably should have hired someone more in the vein of Van Hal to continue the good fan- foundations Van Hal was beginning to move into that squad. Because what happened was you went from Van Hal's sort of system. We're going to play this very weird, bizarre style of football. And they went to Marino and he went, nah, we're going to do what I want to do. Marino is not going to be the sort of person to insist upon working on the academy. That's not what he cares about. Uh, Marino used to care a lot about player fitness and, and the injury team. But as we know from the way he left Chelsea, he's uh, had recent disagreements with medical staff. Um, and obviously, you only have to look at photographs of William and Eden Hazard from that final season to understand that players were overweight during. Marino's latter stages Uh, and these are all problems that still need to be addressed Ole Gunnar is talking about oh yeah we're going to do this and and we're going to play these academy plays Mason Greenwood is fine but a good academy has three players like Mason Greenwood is Tyler Chong good or does he just have a big afro and is he just the next one Right, There, there should be more players coming through that conveyor belt and those things don't happen overnight those things don't happen over six or seven months they happen over six or seven years and that's the problem Solskjaer is trying to talk a big game, but whatever's happening at Manchester United is not going to be done until after the Qatar World Cup, until after the Euros in 2024.
0: Wow! Like, so, this is gonna this is so this is time. like a 10 year project you're talking about.
1: This is this is gonna take at least five years. Like, I anyone asks me what I think about Manchester United, I'm just gonna to point to AC Milan and say, "See what's happening over there." That's what happens when you don't sort your stuff out, and they've not, and it doesn't look as if they want to. Where is the director of football? I keep saying this, where is the director of football? Because until United get a director of football, it shows me they're not serious. They said they were going to get one and until they hire one, it shows they're not serious and they can't they can't be bothered. Because the director of football is an expensive long term job. And from what I understand was they were very, very close to hiring Darren Fletcher for it, which shows that again they were trying to go cost effective rather than go out and buy the put and get the person who can properly do it. I mean, okay, so you, you've done. laid
0: out a very a quite detailed summary of like the issues, kind of going back to, to Half Hope's original question. Is the brand impervious? Basically, you said there's 700 million Manchester United fans. Are those 700 million people willing to wait five years to maybe get it right? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming your five years is if you do everything correctly, if you address each of those issues in the way that they should be addressed. You go and get a director of football. You change the way the medical staff, playing style, academy, all of that. Then maybe in five years everything will be okay. Do the seven hundred million Manchester United fans stick with it? If a lot of those fans, as half of my suggests, are fair weather fans in that way, like like what does it do to the brand of Manchester United if it does take five, six, seven years to get things back? Or what if they never see things are never going to be as good as they were under Ferguson? And I'm kind of coming to the reala- the same realization with Chelsea. Like, I'm never going to enjoy Chelsea as much as I did when they had Drogba, Lampard, Terry to an extent. Check. Like, that-, that team was just my team. That was my favorite team. Not Chelsea necessarily, but that collective of players. I don't think Manchester United are ever going to be as good as they were with Ferguson. But that's why a lot of people support the club. So what happens when you kind of regress to the mean in a way? Do those people stick with it or do they go somewhere else? I don't know.
1: You don't have to... I keep saying this. Look at AC Milan. You used to be out My favourite barometer to how well football clubs are doing was I'd just go to Nottingham Carnival and see what shirts are being worn. So it started off as United shirts were being worn, Arsenal shirts were being worn. Then people started wearing Chelsea tops. Then people started wearing a couple of Manchester City tops. Now you see a lot more PSG tops, a couple of Barca kits, a couple of Real Madrid kits. No one's wearing AC Milan kits no more. Mm. Like Nike Nike don't have... AC Milan, Adidas don't have AC Milan, AC Milan are picked up by Puma. The San Siro is crumbling apart. They need a new stadium. Just because you think you're a big deal doesn't mean you're going to be a big deal forever. Look at the New York Knicks. Yeah, the brand is strong. People are still always going to buy New York Knicks stuff and New York Knicks are still going to be a plot point in the films, but big plays ain't come to the Knicks no more. You know when the list come out of like the most expensive sporting franchises and you get like
0: Barcelona, Real Madrid, Dallas Cowboys... Manchester United are always, like, right there they're about. Like, I wonder in, like, two issues of Forbes from now, like, are Manchester
1: United still going to be, like, top five or are they going to be, like, 10th, 15th? Don't drop out of top five, especially because it doesn't look as if they're going to be in the Champions League for a bit. Champions yeah. League funds a lot of this. As popular
0: as the club is, and, I, and I'm assuming with actual footballers as well, like people who would have grown up our age or younger and just love Manchester United, it shouldn't be that hard to rebuild Manchester United, you wouldn't think. So it, it just seems like you just need competency. It's, you need competency and you need a lot of money. It's, it's, this it's, is it's,
2: to... it's a lot harder there than you think, you, man. It's a lot harder than you think.
1: It is. We've, we've spoken before about how you took... I mean, let's look at Juventus, right? Juventus went from finishing, from being relegated to finishing sixth or seventh to now that phase where they've won eight Serie A titles in a row. That took a lot of correct decisions being made in a row. That took at least two or three directors at higher levels. It also took a lot of money. A lot of money. I, I have good information that someone had a conversation with Ed Woodward and basically said, whatever you want to do is going to take five years and it's going to cost you half a billion. At the very least. The current owners of Manchester City have spent £1.8 billion to get them to where they are right now. Um, it took... Roman Abramovich a quarter of a million to get Chelsea's first Premier League title and those fees keep going up the longer you wait because of inflation and the fact that City, Chelsea, Arsenal Spurs have more time to spend money Mm -hmm. so it's not you're starting from zero you've got to spend at the very least you're going to have to spend another £350 right now just to catch up with everyone maybe you can crash back in the top four let's be real Manchester United need another centre back they need another left back two central midfielders they need a right winger they need a striker
2: they Need at least five players.
1: They <laughs> Need at least five players. You need you upgrades in the these five areas, yeah, right? Yeah. And in today's market, every player costs fifty million ish. this isn't going to be cheap. This isn't going. To, this is going to take time. It's going to cost a billion. <laughs> and and the and the thing is, the Glazers don't want to spend a billion. So now you're in this state of this is how much it's going to cost, and everyone's going. Uh, can we get cheap? Can we buy Daniel James instead of whatever? And Daniel James might come good. You know, he does look decent, but. He's not good enough right now to turn Manchester United from the Last point Europa League, Carl, can, can to you Premier talk to me teams.
0: about the, the Manchester United debt? Don't they have like the most debt of any club? Yes. So like what what is that? I know something about Manchester United and debt. Or do you not know? I, I I don't care enough to explain this
2: to you right now. Yeah, <laughs> all
0: right, fair enough. Um, alright. I'll I'll assume you watched Inter Juventus. It was kind of inevitable, I guess.
2: Bro, I won Inter Milan, man. Don't lose at home to Juventus. Don't do it. This this loss could have serious ramifications for the rest of this area, man. What what can you say, man? It's like it's not that Inter Milan lost, it's how they lost. Like if they were unlocking everything, they'd be like, eh. they were just they, they were outplayed. They got completely and totally out out, out outplayed. Mm. And nine in a row, man. Nine in a row, that's 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 now a, a reality now. Like I just don't see I think what you just saw is Inter Milan and Napoli are just not good enough. They are they are good teams. They're just not on the level of event. Juventus don't have a real proper true threat mm. um, for the season, which made him damage them in the Champions League. So
0: if if we could focus on the game just before we get to kind of the the macro of it, mm. can someone explain like okay, Antonio Conte when he was at Chelsea, he wanted target men as his strikers, so he was cool with Costa for a bit, and then that failed. Then they looked at Marata. that happened. But in there, he was always like, I want Lukaku, I want Lukaku. He also wanted Lorente. He ended up with Giroud. And the whole premise of the game, or his game, is I'm going to get my wide men, my wingers, my wing backs. They're going to play it to the striker, the striker's going to hold it, and he's going to bring the team in. The more I watch this, people always pick on Lukaku for having like poor touch, and he's not as technically mm. gifted as some other strikers might be. I'm, and I, I look at Conte, and I'm like, if you want your striker to be a target man, you want the Graziano Pelez of the world. You want Giroud, Lorente, these kinds of strikers. How does Lukaku fit into this? Because Lukaku is, for all intent, he's a, he's a poacher. He's going to play on the last shoulder of the defense, and you're going to give him through balls. He's not a drug boy in that sense. He's not Diego Costa. He's He's a different profile of striker, but... He seemed to really, really want him. He was going to create trouble for Inter this summer if he didn't get Lukaku. And then you watch this game and you see kind of Lukaku struggling to kind of play that target man role. And I wonder why did Kante want this guy so badly if he doesn't exactly, he he doesn't match the style of striker that Kante has, has always tried to go for. And I, I'm curious about that. I don't know if either of you would have an answer to that. It's just a qu- it's a strange thing. Like Lukaku isn't the type of striker that
1: you Lukaku want not a target man. We know this exactly. Everyone so, the, this. so like, and, wh- and why, why was he so it. intent on wanting Lukaku?
2: Conte's not using him as a target man. I don't think he. I didn't watch he, the he game. Is. So he me. is. He is. He is. Mm, he is. Not, not, no, not necessarily. Like the way that Inter are playing, he isn't just using him as a as a a, a target man. That was the issue in the Juventus there game. You go. As in, he was required to try and. Play alongside Latorre and Martinez, but his ball control and touch was messing up plays.
0: Even Jako, he wanted Jako at a time. It was just like okay, like Jako's st- so good. Yeah, just like a, a striker you can throw it to, not throw it to, kick it to, but you guys know what I mean. And the yeah. ball just sticks, and I can bring in the secondary striker. I can bring in someone from midfield or put it wide to a wing back, and then we can you know go from there. But it just seems like Luk- Lukaku, he can't. He can do it. I don't want to say he can't, but it's not his strong suit. So like Conte's insistence on Lukaku has always been rather strange to me. And in that game it, it, it just didn't work. Although he did not make Delit, which was kinda nice. <laughs> he he sat him down, which is nice. He got past uh and he just ran into the space and then messed up the counter. So it's just one of those things. It's like I don't I don't understand But I mean if you want to get into the macro of it though, which half hope kinda touched. Nine in a row is is no, is, no, is no, a
2: like, reality. It's, it's over. Yeah, like this was the worst thing that could have happened to this area. the Syria. The closest challengers losing at home to Juventus because it's such a psychological blow. Because now, which is what even the commentator was saying, it for the entirety of the n- international break, Inter now have to think about them losing the lead, losing and now having to now chase Juventus for this entire international break. It's a massive Boys, mental it's blow. It's
1: one point. Huge. It's a one-point gap.
2: It it seems that I've won it eight times in a row. It, a
1: look, I'm not. I'm not. Look, it is. It is. It's never good to lose to your title competition. But ne- ne- let's really reinforce the Serie A table right now. Juventus right now are top with 19 points. Inter Milan have 18 points. Atalanta have 16 points, and Napoli have 13 points. One point. Serie A has turned on far larger gaps. You look at how Napoli would look to be running away with the title in one of Saris last season. Antonio Conte's a smart manager. He went from getting done 3 0 to Arsenal to rejigging his team to eventually winning the Premier League with, with Chelsea. Give it time.
0: Do you know what's weird though it's like he's already he started with the trick. So like he it, with Chelsea he was like trying to play four one, four one and then he was like, you know what? We're not good at this. Let me go back to my old tricks. So then he played five at the back and that worked. With Inter, he's already started with five in the back. So, I wonder, like, what, what is his tactical evolution o- over the season if, indeed, Inter get figured out. But we can leave that one there. Uh, Double H, Hazard. He hmm. scored. Chip and lob.
2: He still looks o- overweight, but still, you know.
0: <laughs> I thought you'd have more to say, but, yeah. It was a good oh, goal. No, no, no. no for
2: me, I think, look, I mean, like, look, you, you always want to... G- getting that first goal was always important just to, you know, get off... Get someone off their back and everything. But I always say to people, like, this guy's not here to score 34 40, goals for real. But that's not what's happening. He's here to, to do more. But um, it's a big move for him, man. And I just think that he has to build upon that goal because you can't afford to mess up. It may not be the ideal situation. No Neymar, no Pogba. So a lot of the heavy lifting, especially in that final thing, will, will come down to you. So.
0: Yeah. I think he did He assist Modric as well?
2: I think so, yeah. So yeah I think, so. I think he assist.
0: did. Yeah. Was it Granada, though? Yeah. Can we take <laughs> off points for Granada?
2: Yeah.
1: So let's look at La Liga's table. Bah, 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 Why am I saying this? That's copyright. Uh, Real Madrid are top right now with 18 <laughs> points. Barcelona are 16th in second place. And Atletico Madrid are third with 15 points. So it's an interesting La Liga table. No team is truly convinced in the top half. Real Madrid look possibly as weak as they've ever been. They don't look as if they've really improved since the terrible start of Lopetegui and Scolari. Scalari, Solari. Barcelona have looked pretty poor, but that comes with a massive asterisk of the fact that Lionel Messi's about to be fully fit. Um, and Atletico Madrid, yeah, I think they're the best-balanced team in La Liga, but they need goals. You consider Barcelona have scored 20 goals. Atletico Madrid have only scored seven, albeit Atletico Madrid have only conceded four. So...
0: Today's Diego
2: Costa's birthday, by the way. He's, he's like 60 something. So.
0: 30, 31, so they say. Yeah, right. Bloody <laughs> lie. He was 31, 31 years ago. Um, so, yeah. Um, yo, Carl, if you could do me a favor, if you could look up the Bundesliga table, that might be
1: the Bundesliga
2: table is fun. So yeah uh, yeah Mönchengladbach at at weird. There's
0: like somebody on newly on top No week.
2: one
1: wants to win the Bundesliga at the moment. Bayern Munich lost against Schalke. I want to say Schalke, maybe it's Hoffenheim. No, Hoffenheim. Bayern Munich Hoffenheim. lost against Hoffenheim. Um Borussia Dortmund drew 2-2. Your man Nanglesman's team, Red Bull Leipzig, also had a draw. So we're in this very interesting position where we're going to international break and Borussia Dortmund got Mongol Gleisbach, otherwise known as a German team. Bladabach um, are top of the Bundesliga table with 16 points. Second place is Wolfsburg with 15. Then it's Bayern with 14. Then Freiburg with 14. Then Leipzig with 14. Then Schalke with 14. Then Bayer Leverkusen in 7th with 14 points as well. Behind them <laughs> it's Borussia Dortmund. 8th place with 12 points. Behind them is Eintracht Frankfurt with 11 points. And behind them is Hertha Berlin. With ten points, ten. So the top ten teams in in Germany are separated by six points. Wow, that's fun, isn't it? Of course, I'm never going to discount against Bayern Munich because they just put seven past on Hotspur, and they've always got you know Lewandowski waiting. But yeah, that's a fun Bundesliga table.
0: Quite interesting. Do you guys think it's just Munich have regressed? You know, they don't have the Lams or the Rivery Robin. Like those days are gone peak Müller peak Lewandowski all that kind of stuff or do you think like the Bundesliga has evolved and like those teams are just better and they're
2: catching uh, Munich and, and Dortmund to an extent mm, devolved I I, th- I think Bayern Munich when you look at them like they're not as good as they want so like if Bayern Munich had top tier peak players they'd be they'd, they'd smack up all these <laughs> other teams I don't think the teams have really evolved that much because if because if they'd gotten so much better how come they don't do that well in the Europa League or in the Champions League so Fair enough. Do you guys want to talk about the Champions League? Just
0: like the just the 7-2 is really the only result that I can think of.
1: Uh, the 7-2, the 2-2 with we Real Madrid and Club Bruges. It was a fun. It was a fun. <laughs> it was a fun. Bruges
0: ran Bruges. They were up 2-0. The dude had a chance to go three. 3-0. I was like, nah, is it Madrid are gonna capitalize off that man, and they did. I was I was shitty, man. And then, and then what? What the, um Cor- Courtois came off at halftime, and people were like, "Yo, is Z- Z- Dan benched him?" And then there was like, "Yo, he was struggling from anxiety or something like that." And that proved not to be true, or not totally true, or something like that. Madrid man, interesting season for them. But yeah, seven two at home, bruh. A that
1: whole
2: was deep, touchdown. Man. That was very
1: deep. A whole touchdown. Streets is done.
0: Napri scored four goals in one half.
2: Apparently.
1: Apparently. You know, uh, Inter Milan are in trouble now. They're in the group of death with Dortmund and Barcelona. And now they've lost. Um, it looks like Inter Milan will be playing Europa League football <laughs> next season. Next season? In <laughs> the new year, I would say. Yo,
0: yo, yo. yo. Someone said, will Hazard finally step up in the Champions League this season? How has Naby eclipsed Hazard's Champions League goals from open play in one night? <laughs> <laughs> Coldwell. <laughs> Yo, Willian has more Champions League goals than Hazard, and he's leveled on Champions League goals with Ronaldinho.
1: Yeah. Champions League is different nowadays. Anyway, let's get to questions.
0: Thoughts on Brazil playing both Senegal and Nigeria this week.
2: From AJ Cool 16. Great. Can't wait. (laughs) Even though Manish should actually be... He's actually playing against his his actual country, but there you go.
0: (laughs) Who do you think adds more value to a random top? Five league squad keeping all else consistent. The best manager in the world or the best player in the world?
1: Best manager.
0: Manager. Really?
1: Yes. The best so, manager so you guys think
0: have... if you take who's who's the best manager in the world right now? We're gonna say Klopp? You you think if you put Klopp yeah. in Everton, that's gonna do more for them
2: than like putting Messi in Everton?
1: Yeah, because no matter what, yeah, yeah. Messi can't help Everton defend set pieces. Klopp can. Mm.
2: Because the manager the, the player is only one guy. He's only one dude. So if he's in a system that isn't working very well, there's only so much that one yep. man can do. As amazing as a player is, he's still dependent on the blueprints that and the foundation that the manager. If you were for the them, chairman so. of Everton though, and you had the choice between
0: I give you Klopp or I give you Messi, who do you take?
2: You take Klopp because Klopp is cheaper as well. Business wise, oh no, no, business wise, you, you take Messi. Klopp. But sense bra- no brains wise brain wise you, it's no no business wise you take messy for the cash and all the shit so <laughs> but for the football sense you take clock if it's me i'm taking messy bro <laughs> yeah for the i mean like you 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 want to win anything but my god do you know how how much money you'll bring in and what that will do for the city and everything it would be huge um okay so a couple of liverpool i don't know if these are related but i just see the name um, from Pack
0: Mouse, do y'all think City are out of the title race, especially with Liverpool away coming in just a month? Really? Wow. Also, with zero salt whatsoever, <laughs> do you think Toriyari has been using bleach? <laughs> yes.
2: Yes. What uh, do I away think? From like, yes. He has yes.
0: Bleach. Can I prove it? No. He's but been the bleaching. Evidence I don't need stark, any kind of proof. Okay? He's been bleaching. And we. I, I feel like we talked about this in the podcast past. So there you go. But um our city out of the title race, no we've
1: addressed this, no. But it's it's looking dangerous.
0: If City win both games against Liverpool and Liverpool draw a game, they're level on point. So let's see what happens in those in those, I guess, title deciding matches, I guess. If Liverpool win one of those though. Yeah. If this Liverpool team shatters City's one hundred points and go invincible, surely they have to go down as the greatest team in the Premier League slash Europe has ever seen from Jack. Uh yeah, fair enough. If they get over a hundred points and go invincible, then yeah. Um uh, with Arsenal only a point behind second and not a million miles away from first.
1: Come on, Mason.
0: If they keep picking up good results, is it as is it fair to say they're in the hunt, similar to Spurs last year? No,
1: they're not in the hunt. They're being held Arsenal can be a lot better than what they're currently playing, but they're being held back by the tactically in that manager.
0: Alright, last question. The labor leader from Jack's three six five has talked about several ways to democratize football in the United Kingdom, including supporters' trusts on boards, right to buy shares before any sale, and 5% of Premier League television rights going back into grassroots football. Would these be good, or do you have other ideas yourself?
1: I largely agree. Supporters' trust helps. um, If you can move to a 50-plus-1 model, similar to Germany, Mm. you're doing a lot better. Uh, The more football that is available past the paywall, the better. Like I said earlier on this podcast, I pay for BT and I pay for Sky, but I couldn't watch Serie R, which is quite annoying. And this is this idea that you can pay 100, maybe 200, 100, north of 100 pound a month and you still could not get all of the football games in this country, which is quite worrying, especially when you consider Amazon are now in the market, so they're going to be having some of the games over Christmas. Yeah, there's there's too much, I don't want to say there's too much money, but there is a too much centralised concern about profit in football, when you consider that most football clubs were set up as workers' clubs and social spaces, I need mean, to go back to that. Some clubs are very good at this. Liverpool is very, very good at this, uh, as is Newcastle, um, in terms of like community, well, I say, as is Newcastle, as are parts of Newcastle Football Club. I'd like to see a cap on away game prices. Um, schemes that Swansea City and whatnot have done, where basically say every single away ticket, the most expensive away ticket, is £22. Because... Traveling from Swansea to Newcastle is very, very expensive. So let's make that cheaper, where possible. I, I'm a, I'm a fan of those proposals, but I think if you go through my Twitter, it's no surprise that I'm in support of what Labour are proposing to do to things in this country.
0: How much is five percent of Premier League television rights? A lot. Of That's got it's, it's, well, it's probably like a, a lot, 3 of billion a lot of or something like that. So it's got to be what at least a bunch of millions. That'd be a good idea. When they give money to grassroots, what does that mean exactly? Like, I know that means like just giving it back to the community in, in essence, but what are the particulars of grassroots?
1: So, public spaces. You have got to bear in mind there are very few public spaces left in the United Kingdom. But when I say public spaces, I mean that belong to the council. So, uh, I very recently went to a place in Portsmouth. Um, this gentleman who runs a youth football team, but he owns he owns a park in the back, and he says he. he I was talking to him and he went to me about how he applied to the council and went, we need to get a new roof and the council went, we have no money to do this. But I need to fix the roof of this building. Otherwise, the six to 13-year-olds who come and train at this football club are going to have a leaky roof when they play. The council went, we've got no money. You're going to have to find a way to get this money. That's what it means in terms of grassroots. It's the difference between having one toilet at your five-a-side football club or having two toilets, which generally means the difference between you having a, a girls' team or not having a girls' team is the ability to to have uh, to to pay for a groundskeeper to keep the lawn tidy or the ability to if it gets too cold in the winter to to rent out an indoor space that's gr- that's what it talks about funding grassroots it's the ability to give the coaches that turn up a little bit of a wage so they're not complete volunteers it's the ability to go from everyone's parent has to pick six or seven three or four kids up and drive to the place to being able to hire a minibus
0: cool um okay we got maybe like 10 minutes left i don't know how much of these 10 minutes we're going to use but the maradona documentary dropped hmm. on hbo uh, and i was able to watch it and i don't did we discuss it when it dropped like i'm sure you guys went to theaters to see it
2: yep yep yeah was in the cinema
0: so this guy was on coke <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. this guy was on coke and then sweated <laughs> out Wednesday to Sunday
0: big cocaine so this guy he was on cocaine and he was like alright so Wednesday Thursday Friday I'm gonna sweat all this stuff out and then we're gonna go back to work and then do it again <laughs> I'll just watch the documentary like this guy man
1: like what was wrong with him there was Diego and then it was Maradona
0: I hate when I I hate that I hate when athletes put off their bad behavior on, like, these alter egos that they have. So it's like, Deion Sanders, like, there was Deion, and then there was Prime Time. Or, like, Bo Jackson was, like, (laughs) there was Bo, and then there was, like, whatever his actual name is. Or, like, OJ Simpson, there was OJ, and then there was the Juice. Like, nah, you were just doing coke. Like, (laughs) stop putting it on yourself. Like there was this other thing. Like no, it was you. Like you were the one doing cocaine, and then you were the one that was playing football. Like there's not Diego and Maradona. Like chill. But yeah, it was it was it was a good one. It was a good one. It's it's not my favorite football piece or film, but it was really good. What is your and favorite? I, I enjoyed it. Uh, Zidane, a 21st century portrait, is my oh, favorite yes. football film, where it just follows him around where he plays. I think it's Villarreal.
1: Yeah, it just follows him in a football game. No audio. Yeah. You just get to watch I him love do that. stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's dope. But yeah, I was watching. I was like, "Yo, this guy had the key assist
2: in everything." Yep, he was great. No, he was that dude, man. Maradona was that.
0: How did they get so much footage?
1: Back in the day, Maradona's agent thought it'd be a good idea to make a film about Maradona during his career, mm. and that film never came to pass. But the archives existed in Argentina, so Asif Kapadia flew over to Argentina and was very nice. Uh, and asked very politely if you could look through some of it. Uh, and I think a key part of it was that he didn't look for European footage. He spent quite a lot of time looking for, well, I say European, I mean non English speaking. He spent his, he did his homework and looked at Italian footage and he looked at Argentinian footage, which greatly helped everything.
0: Because it was just like they had footage from when he was a kid, like teens. I, don't, I, was, I was like watching it. I, I thought all of the footage was just different people were shooting it. And I was like, yo, this is helping me realize just how famous this guy was at the time that there were just so many videos of him from like the seventies and eighties and whatever else. It was just like, yo, so this guy was super duper famous in that way. Cause why else would there be so much footage of him? Like they had this guy out here in like a field of wheat. Yep. I was like, who was filming this guy in a field of wheat? But now once you say like they wanted to do a documentary, it makes sense. So I guess he had to pay to get the, the stuff, but yeah, just really, really interesting. By the way, it's like the food these guys were eating as well. Like when <laughs> they, they they went to the World Cup and um they were eating like pork and yep. I was just like, is this food that footballers would eat today or is this like a completely like 80s before like super science and nutrition and all that kind of stuff? It was just like, what are they eating? And why would you eat that? as a professional footballer and maybe think it has learned it away but you know so what was your guys' just overall takeaway from from the documentary i know i'm making
1: you think backwards but i thought it was amazing i yeah. thought it was a really good study in maradona and the weird things he did and told himself in order to, and the weird things he continues to do and say to justify the bad things he does and the bad things he continues to do i think some of the match footage is incredible and mm. I I was I've never seen Maradona play football in his peak, but watching some of those warm up scenes, I was just like, what? How are you doing that? Um, I always bring up the bit where he is—he's just signed for Napoli and he's doing keepy ups, and he starts dribbling. Uh, he starts juggling the ball in the back of his heel, which he makes it look so easy. That is a very very hard thing to do. The heel has next to no muscle or give. And it can be very, very hard to gauge how much and how heavy you should tap the ball. And he's doing like his complete child's play. One of my favorite writers, Wright Thompson, said this really interesting thing about sports: about how sports, when you watch a game of football, you are watching the very public performance of something someone has very privately practiced for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And And there are certain things on the football field that you should never really be witness to. You should never be able to see someone's face after they miss a penalty. That is an intensely private moment that we will get to see. But we will have fun. When you realise that, when you realise that football is allowing people to publicly view stuff that is very private, you understand that all these athletes have to create some sort of persona so they don't go loopy. And some athletes do it well, and some athletes do it not so well, and some athletes do it well and then put away that mask when they're at home. And when they retire, whereas other athletes, the mask they create eventually takes over. I think Maradona was very much a case of there was Diego. There was also Maradona. And then by the end of it, Maradona's mask just went. Whoop. And also that whole thing about his son. Damn.
0: Yo, I was about to bring that Like, I didn't know anything about that. That he mm. had like a, an crazy. illegitimate, or not, I don't want to call it illegitimate, but he had like a son out of his relationship, I suppose, or his marriage. And then at the end, I was I, I was looking at the baby. I was like, you know damn well that's your baby. Like, stop it. And then by the end, it was like, yeah, it was his kid. I was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that was his kid. You could tell by the baby's face. I was like, well, that's your baby. <laughs> right. Anyway.
2: Well, no, actually, actually, let me tell you a quick Maradona story. So, basically, so obviously, this so is when I was living in Nigeria. So, this is the 94 World Cup. So, obviously, Nigeria, obviously, they um, obviously qualified. It was a big thing. Nigeria's very first World Cup and everything. First game, obviously, we, we beat... Um, Bulgaria 3-0. So it was obviously a big deal. Boom, boom, boom. So I believe the next game was Argentina. And this was me first knowing about what a big deal Maradona was. Literally, they basically we didn't nobody in Nigeria knew whether Maradona was gonna start. And everybody was just getting scared because oh, is he gonna play? Is he is he not gonna play? What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? And then once everyone now knew that he 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 played, everybody like in Nigeria was afraid. And the story is that everyone in the Nigerian team were actually afraid to tackle or even go near Maradona based on what he was about. So there was obviously this kind of... So for me, even growing up, when I was really young, I was like, what is it about this guy that even Nigerians are scared of him? And even when I just was just watching on the pitch, I was like, I don't know who this guy is, but this guy just seems to have this kind of ethereal, kind of mythical power where he's actually putting fear into Nigerians as well. So I think that was just when I, I... Began to know the power of just what being a great player is about. Mm-hmm. Then that's when I was like. Okay, good? And then you know, but yes, yeah, so that, that was just like little tidbits of what a big deal he he was. You know. So
0: did you guys know? Like, had you done enough study to realize like how big the 1990 World Cup in Italy affected Maradona's career? Like, did you guys know anything about that? Like, when I was watching, I was like, this is like the worst right, possible circumstance. Yeah. That could have happened to him. Like, the World Cup is in Italy. The game's in Napoli. You win, you celebrate, all that kind of stuff. Like, I didn't realize that like, it would have such an impact moving forward. Like, I didn't know any about that.
2: Also, I mean, also as well, if you go onto YouTube, try and look at when the... When the anthems... When they play... Yeah, the anthems. And you see, man, pretty much, like, swearing <laughs> at, at at the Italians because they are basically booing the Argentina National man, Anthem.
1: Man, those things those Italian fans were chanting about the people from Naples. That was, I was like,
0: the game was in Napoli as well. Yep. He was like, yo, I think people from Napoli are going to root for us because of me. I was like, yo, this dude is arrogant, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something like because I've given them so much or something like that. I was like, bro, like I, I, you're not going to make Italians root for Argentina just because of you, but it is what it is. Uh, uh, to be fair there was i think there was one guy when the reporters came up to him he was like i'm gonna root for Maradona." and the rest of the crowd was like nah get the fuck out of here it was it was good so i'm I'm glad i saw it so yeah that was the the talking tactics podcast we thank you guys for listening remember we do this every tuesday you can follow us on social media main one's twitter remember to follow us if you're listening on spotify it's much appreciated um if you're listening on apple podcast subscribe is free wherever you're listening uh whatever podcast app shout out to you guys
2: Um, yeah, you can follow me at Daniel to look, have hope, where can people get you? You can find your boy, um, on Twitter at halfhophortsman and halfofootballhorts.com.
0: Carl, where can people get you? Anchorman616. Yeah, we're going to record a Talking Tactics Extra as well, so 30 to 40 minutes that you guys can get. Check out our Patreon, links in the description. That's the one thing I forgot at the beginning. I was like, I knew I forgot something. But anyway, um, Talking Tactics Podcast, sometimes funny.
1: Sometimes serious. Always for the ball. Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.